You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Genesis 29, the first 30 verses. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. Is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together? Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. 
Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Leah also, went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Well, we come to this, what is uh, arguably another famous section in the story of Jacob, precisely because of this rather what seems to be delicious irony, the ways in which Jacob has seemingly tricked and connived and stolen his way into his present situation. And then here in chapter 29, it seems Jacob has met his match. And we're probably all too pious to say it, but we seem to enjoy these types of comeuppances. When you see someone doing something bad and then things to turn around on themselves, seems as if the universe is writing itself. Like those times when you're driving around and there's somebody hard on the tail of your car and they have to zoom around you. And then all of a sudden they make it just a few feet down the road and they're stopped by something else. You know that there's this moment where you just chuckle at yourself in the car there and you see the way in which their hurried and aggravated nature has caused them to get no further down the road. And so we come to this. It, it does seem as if the writers, it, uh, it does seem as if Moses is painting this picture where Jacob is now the one being deceived. And it seems as if he's getting a taste of his own medicine. And as we've been looking at the life of Jacob, I do think that he often gets a bad rap. He doesn't seem to be nearly as bad as some commentators make him out to say. Or they make him out. But nonetheless, it does seem as if this part of the text, things are, are being turned around on him. And so we get this time where we can chuckle at the text. The trickster gets tricked. The con man gets conned. But really the question to be asking is that, is this all that this text is about? Is that the entirety of its purpose for us to have this laugh at Jacob's expense? Or is there something more going on here? Well, obviously, I wouldn't be preaching this sermon if I didn't think that there was something more here than just an interesting and comical story. For you see, when we look at this text, it seems to clearly divide itself into two sections. The first 14 verses really seem to speak about this blessing or this happy providence. You'll remember from last week's sermon, Jacob's dream, God had told him that he would be with him, that he would bless him, and that he would bring him back safely, that all this land and all these descendants would be his. Well, the first 14 verses seem to show God beginning to fulfill all of those promises to Jacob, as we'll look through, Jacob just happens to be at the right well at the right time to meet people from the city he needs to be and to find Rachel at just that exact moment. There seems to be this happy providence. You'll have to remember, this is a 500-mile journey that Jacob has undertaken, and now he shows up at just this one well in what seems to be the middle of nowhere, and yet he finds the very people he needs to find. But then the second part of this, the ironic part, in verses 15 through 30, Jacob had 
offered to work for seven years in order to obtain Rachel. And he's tricked on his wedding night. And it seems as if there's now this hard providence that the hand of God may seem hard against him. Jacob may have wondered even why did God allow this to happen to me? I clearly set out. I have tried to be honest and I have tried to work and do right by Laban and he has tricked me and will make his life more difficult now. So we have this hard providence. And Jacob throughout, I think, is being trained and tested and being brought up in order that he will be the leader whom God will have. But also you'll see the way in which God is using all of these events, the good and the difficult, uh, in the life of Jacob. The two women, the two sisters that Jacob marries and their two maidservants will be the mothers of the twelve sons who will form the twelve tribes of Israel. Though Laban seems to be cheating Jacob now for these 14 years, Jacob will leave very prosperous from the house of Laban with two wives and then we know uh, this abundance of children that the Lord seems to be with him even if he has to take him through various difficult times. So as we start here with this happy providence in the first 14 verses, Jacob went on his journey. He comes to the land of the people of the east and looked, and he sees three flocks of sheep. There's a, a well there with a stone on it to not only mark it, but likely to also keep it safe and to keep animals from falling into it. You'll remember how wells played an important part in the life of Isaac earlier. And for a nomadic desert culture, wells would be incredibly important. And so he finds these shepherds there at the well, and they're gathering and they're waiting because it's got a, what sounds like a, a large stone placed over the well, uh, the mouth of the well. And this is where Jacob then has these men there with their sheep, and he simply asks them, are, do they know, uh, where are they from? Well, they're from Haran. Well, that's where Laban is from. And so immediately he asks, well, do you know of Laban, the son of Nahor. And they tell him, yes, we, we know him. Is it well with him? Yes, it's well with him. And look, right there on the horizon is coming his younger daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. And so you can see here already the, the coincidental nature of all of this. To think of the odds of what would happen on this journey without GPS without texting, without any way to coordinate any of these things, for him to end up here at this place with these people and to meet Rachel, I mean, the odds are, are staggering to think of how this could have gone so much differently. Yet again, I think we come back to the way in which God is, is orchestrating all of this. God is protecting Jacob. He is leading Jacob, and he is bringing him here. And so then he meets Rachel. She is talked about as a shepherdess, probably meaning Laban doesn't have uh, any sons. He simply has these two daughters. But everything seems to be going well for Jacob. He has now found his kinsman. The, the point of setting out on this journey was to find Laban and to find a wife. And here he finds Laban's daughter. In verses 11 through 12, he seems to just be simply overwhelmed 
And you can think about how long this journey would have been and now to find his kinsmen and to find Rachel. The text says Jacob kissed Rachel and he wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she goes and runs and tells her father. So Jacob here, as he sees Rachel coming, he has the the shepherd standing around and he moves the stone on his own in order that he can water the sheep. And then he seems to be almost trying to get the the shepherds to uh, move on or get along on their way. He says in verse 7 that it's high time and that they should be out pasturing their sheep. It's an interesting tidbit to just place in there. But it seems as if Jacob is trying to hurry them along so he possibly can speak to Rachel by himself. So he moves the stone by himself, which seems to normally have required several shepherds to move. And so he waters the sheep there. And then with with Rachel, as we've just said, he's exuberant. And Rachel runs off, and now finally the end, really of the, the end of the journey of meeting Laban happens in verses 13 through 14. It seems here that Laban looks to just be genuinely happy. He's genu- genuinely happy to have news about his sister and about her family. And Jacob then tells Laban all these things. It seems a rather coy statement. He tells Laban that he's here and probably has to go into some detail as to why he's here and maybe why he is here with very little resources. But the text just simply says he tells him all these things. It's just really there to provide for us, uh, uh, really for us to just guess at what Jacob could have been saying. Could he have told Laban everything? Unlikely. But he, he tells Laban that he's here And he's here to find a bride, which will come up later when we see uh, Laban and Jacob debating about the price of his wages. But here, just in these first 14 verses, I think simply we can see the, the smiling face of providence. God has promised to bring Jacob safely back, and he appears to already be fulfilling that in his life. He arrives safely. He meets Laban with no difficulty whatsoever. His task was to find a wife, and we already seem to have hints that this will already be fulfilled with Rachel there. And for Jacob, at this point, as he's coming into Laban's house, as he has seen Rachel already, it must seem to him that things are going really, really well for him, that everything is going good for now, that for him it must be easy at this point to trust in the Lord when everything is going well. On verses 15 through 30, then things start to change. It begins with a question about wages in verses 15. Jacob had been serving there. He came with no money, with nothing in order to offer as a bride price. And so he is working there and Laban asks, What should your wages be? And as we'll see later, Laban is very unlikely that he's concerned about Jacob and about the fact that he's not paying him. 
It seems as if, he, as the text will point out, that he's probably trying to get a good deal out of Jacob. Jacob would normally have brought gifts and other things in order to pay as a bride price, bride price as a, a down payment, a deposit, if you will, uh, for Rachel. And here he has nothing. And so Laban is likely trying to see what kind of good deal he could get out of this. And so the text then stops for a moment in verses 16 and 17 in order to talk to us about the two daughters, that the older was Leah and the younger was Rachel. And the ESV says Leah's eyes were weak, uh, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And it could mean that either her, her eyes are weak or it could just be simply that her eyes are, are tender or that she had pretty eyes. But obviously the, the contrast is between uh, Rachel, who seems to be uh, just completely beautiful. It says beautiful in form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel. And so it's contrasting the two sisters here. And so Jacob, with his love for Rachel, he then offers seven years of service to Laban. And you'll note here, too, that Laban doesn't uh, argue back or there's no debate upon whether this is a good deal or not. Likely, this is actually a very good deal for Laban, that Jacob is, if you will, overpaying. And so Laban is perfectly happy to take this deal. And so much so because it seems as if as we know the rest of the text, that he has a way to get even more work out of Jacob. And so Jacob says, so, so Jacob says that he would serve for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And what's funny is Laban answers by saying, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. So stay with me. You'll note here how Laban just simply says her. He doesn't specify which daughter he intends to give. So Jacob serves for these seven years. They seem to him just a few days because he is so in love with Rachel. And so he goes to Laban saying, okay, the seven years is up. Now, since I have served you, I have paid this bride price. Now it is time for you to give me my wife. And so Laban does. He goes and sets up a great feast, a great wedding ceremony. And everything again up to this point seems like it's going rather well for Jacob. He has served for seven years in order to obtain Rachel, but to him they seemed like a few days. Here Laban immediately goes and has this great feast, this great party. And Jacob here assuming that he'll wake up in the morning uh, with Rachel. But then verse 22, sorry, verse 23, but in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Well, here you have, again, this what seems to be poetic irony or poetic justice here. You remember, Jacob was the one who usurped his older brother. Jacob was the one who tricked his blind father. And here, Jacob finds himself being tricked. Jacob here is pictured as being blind. It's at nightfall after a long feast. Uh, Leah has a, a veil on. 
And then in the morning, when it's sunlight, when uh, Jacob is awake, he sees uh, that it is Leah and not Rachel. Behold, in the morning, he finds that he has the wrong wife. But now he's been married. The relationship was consummated. They are now, if you, were, if you are legally married to Leah, and suddenly Jacob finds himself in a very difficult position, doesn't he? He's been serving these seven years, <coughs> excuse me, these seven years in order to obtain a wife. And he has a wife, but not the one that he originally asked for. So he goes to Laban, rightfully angry. What have you done? Why did you do this? Why have you deceived me? And Laban in verse 26, <coughs> sorry. Laban in verse 26 seems to be scolding Jacob. Note the way in which he responds. We don't act like this in our country. In this part of the country, it is not right for the younger to usurp the older. <coughs> it sounds as if he's almost saying that in civilized places like Haran, this is not how people behave. Whereas, what does he know of Jacob's past and how Jacob has obtained the birthright that was originally supposed to be given to his older brother? Here, now, Jacob finds himself on the other end of a bad deal. And so Laban comes up with a way in which Jacob can have Rachel. He tells him that he can complete a week of the, the marriage ceremony to Leah and that if he will serve him for another seven years, that he will then give Rachel to be his wife. Not that he'll serve seven years and then obtain Rachel, but rather after this week is over, he then gives Rachel to him, and then Jacob then continues to serve for another seven years. So 14 years, Jacob is serving under Laban. And the way the text is silent about how these seven years went for Jacob. The first seven years were just a few days. It felt like time passed incredibly fast. Here, it seems as if these seven years probably went a whole lot slower for him. And there already seems to be strife present. The text ends in verse 30 that Jacob... <coughs> loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. The, the point of the text is not to say that he loved Leah a little bit and loved Rachel a lot, but rather that he loved Rachel and did not love Leah. <coughs> so coming to the end of this section. <coughs> I am nearly done, so hopefully I can make it through this last part of this text. What started off as everything going Jacob's way, suddenly at the end, it seems as if now there is strife, there is difficulty. The journey, which started off so well, now 14 years later, 
has strife, has difficulty, has sadness involved in it. But both of these, the the good and, if you can say, the bad, both of these come from the hand of God. As Job would say, speaking to his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we not receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Well, think about Jacob as he's being trained as he's being trained up to be this leader of God's people, that he would be the father of the 12 sons who would form the 12 tribes of Israel. Suddenly, as Jacob received this great vision and these great promises from God, as he's seen the, the fulfillments of them happening in his life and the way in which the Lord has cared for him and taken care of him. But also now he has gone through difficult times at the hand of the Lord. And Jacob is going to have to learn to trust even through these difficult things. Jacob's never told the the details about what's going to happen specifically in his life. And he's not told the rationale of why God took him down this path to where he would marry not just Rachel, but also Leah. He's never given any explanation as to why this difficulty is thrust upon him. But I think what we're supposed to see is Jacob going through these difficult times, Jacob facing this hardship, because this is a point in which he has to begin to rely upon the Lord. And we'll see later when Jacob wrestles with an angel, that his life is one in which he is being pushed really to to the limits, if you will, in order that God may show that he is his God and that Jacob would trust But also, even in these difficult times, God is providing for Jacob. Jacob will leave prosperous. He'll have two wives and these two handmaidens, and from these four women will come all of the 12 sons that will make up the 12 tribes. So even these difficult things are being used ultimately by God in the life of Jacob, but even further and past that to the life of Israel. And so coming to the end of this, thinking about that question from the beginning, is this section just simply about Jacob getting his comeuppance? I'm less convinced. Certainly it's a humorous text. Certainly Jacob has tricked others and he seems like out of a a good candidate of someone who would be tricked. Yet I think what we see in this text It's just a simple truth that we all know, that life is messy, that life is is hard at times, that life doesn't seem to just make sense, that there are times of, of great difficulty and times where we're just left scratching our head going, what is going on? What is happening in my life? And yet Jacob had received this great vision and been told that God, who is the one standing at the top of this great pyramid, this great ziggurat, the one who is commanding all of the heavenly hosts, has told Jacob, I will be with you. And I will bless you and I will make you into a great nation. What he's being told is simply that, yes, there are parts of your life that are just not going to make sense and I don't have to answer to you. But... I am the one who is in control of it all. 
I am in control of this. I have a plan. And I have a plan for you specifically, Jacob. Jacob doesn't know why all of these things are happening. But he does know the one who is causing all of it, doesn't he? He knows that God is sovereign behind all of this. And that the same God who was with Isaac, his father, and Abraham, his grandfather, is now with Jacob. And so I think we see here in the life of Jacob, and we'll continue to see these themes come forth out of his life in which he is forced to trust in the Lord, forced to, to, to understand the divine providence of God. And that through it all, the Lord will be training and, and raising him up to be a leader for the people of God. And finally, as we think about, as we cross over into the New Testament, you know, Jacob certainly acts as a type of Christ, right? Through him are the way all of these blessings flow forth. But also we see just the, the realism of Jacob's life that he's just like us. He is someone who is forced to trust. He is someone who doesn't have all the answers. He is someone whose life has times of ease and times of trouble and hardship and times in which he needs to trust in the Lord through both of these. And so through it all, Jacob doesn't completely understand what's going on in his life, nor does he even understand the, the greater picture, that this greater plan that God has through Jacob's life to bring about the Messiah, to bring about the one who would reconcile God to man. But even knowing that, knowing that Jesus Christ has conquered death doesn't take away the, the parts and problems of our life, does it? Our life ends up oftentimes looking like Jacob's, a mess, sometimes a mess of our own making. But through it all, we're left with these great promises. I mean, think of what Paul says, that all things work together for the good of those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was a man who was beaten and shipwrecked, a man who lived his life near death, it seemed, at most times. And yet he said all things work together. Jacob, at the end of his life, would be able to testify to that very truth that, yes, my life has been difficult and it's been hard, but all things are working together for my good because God is sovereign and God is loving. And so, brothers and sisters, just simply from this text, we see the way in which God works, that he has a plan, that he is a God of love and that through the, the messiness of our lives, he's bringing about something greater than we could ever imagine. Jacob would never get to see fully what would come through from his life. In many ways, we won't see the fullness of what the Lord has done even in our own lives and the lives of others that we've been a part of. But yeah, we can take hope once again that God is sovereign and God is good. And we see that in Jesus Christ. So let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K.